Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Well, listen, I've got a message for you tonight. I want to talk about being called according to his purpose. Called according to his purpose. You'll, you'll find that in Romans 8.28 where it says, We know all things work together for good to those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Uh, you know, what I love is that God does everything according to a purpose. Uh, you know, in life, purpose is really important because anything that you have in life, if you are smart enough, you'll realize that the designer who made it designed it with a purpose. So, so for me, you know, you know I like fast cars. And, uh, you know, if you drive a Formula One car, it's very difficult to drive it on the road because it's made for a track. Actually, uh, for, uh, Ferrari came out and McLaren came out with um, their own versions of road racing cars. And they had to make a number of changes to adapt it for purpose. And when you design something with a specific purpose in mind, over time you realize you can improve on the design as you use the thing for its purpose. You get that? You know, it's true. So the first time, you know, Ford created cars, he said you can have any color you like as long as it's black. That's what Henry Ford said. That was his advertising campaign. Any color you like as long as it's black. And so, you know, every car that was sold in America for like 10 years was a black car. Uh, it was made, that's how it was manufactured. And when they discovered a way of doing different colors in a cheaper way, when they discovered how they could do that, then they began to make cars of different colors. But purpose, design, uh, is behind all purpose. And when it comes to you and me, we're called, we're designed, there's an intention in the heart of God that we will fulfill his purpose in life. You got that? In other words, you're not an accident. Okay, you're not wired the way you are. You're not made the way you are because there's something wrong. Now, there, there is something wrong in the sense that, that sin has entered the world and God's purpose, everything's been slightly twisted, slightly tainted, slightly off-key, if you like. But the intended purpose is still there by God. And, and that means that you count. That means that your life uh, can make a significant difference. And in Ephesians chapter 1, <clears throat> Paul starts to sort of unpack the whole notion of God's purpose for you and I. Now, now listen, there's a difference between purpose, plans, and people. P people are, are, are what God uses, who God uses, and we're wired in particular ways. Have you noticed some companies always design a profile of a person they're looking for? They have to have these particular qualifications. They have to have these, these particular bent. They have to have this particular gifting. And, uh, and uh, by designing a profile, you kind of get the right person. And so you have people who implement plans, but plans are about the what and about the where. So, so when uh, in the Second World War, when Winston Churchill was meeting with uh, all of his generals, there was a plan to invade uh, Europe and to 
to sort of liberate France. And the first time they did it, it went badly wrong. How many of you have seen the movie Dunkirk? It went really badly wrong. Um, <clears throat> there were, I think there were, I forget how many troops were there, but, but Winston Churchill said when everything went wrong, he said, as long as you save me 3,000 men, in the end they actually saved 30,000. But that plan went wrong. There was a, a when and a where with the people involved, but it didn't work out, so they had to make a new plan. That second plan did work. It had to be impl implemented nearly three years later, but that plan did work. And so there are plans, there are profiles, there are people, but then there are purposes. And purpose is all about the why behind the what. The why behind the what. You know, there was a story once about uh, a young girl who was watching her mother cook. And while she was preparing the lamb to go in the, in the oven, she cut off the shank bone and put it in the oven. She said she was eight years of age. She said, Mommy, why did you cut off the bone before you put the lamb in the oven? She said, I don't know. My mother used to do that, so I just copied her. How many of you know that many times in life we do things not understanding why we do them? The problem in church life is often we develop traditions, and traditions are not a bad thing as long as you review them from time to time. Because traditions are created in particular contexts, in particular situations. So, for instance, the Salvation Army in 1850, how many of you know that brass bands were all the rage? In 1850, a brass band, a, a man in a uniform or a woman in a uniform, in 1850, that was sexy. Hello? A person in a uniform, that was sexy. Playing a brass band, double sexy. And not only that, the Salvation Army. You sort of don't think of the Salvation Army as sexy, do you really, today? But in 1850, they were. And, uh, and what they used to do was they would take all the pub songs, all the tunes that people were singing from the pubs, and they would play them and put Christian lyrics to them. 1850. How radical is that? Fast forward to 2017. Maybe something needs to change. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, what is cutting edge at one moment in history becomes passe and irrelevant at another moment in history. The tradition needs to change. The purpose doesn't change. The why doesn't change. The how, the where, and the when changes. Do you get that? Let's go back to the, to, the, uh, to the lamb and the shank bone. So this mother was intrigued. Her daughter said to her, oh, I don't know, my mother's always done it. She, she went back to her mother and she said, Mom, when I was growing up as a little girl, I always watched you prepare lamb and you always cut off the shank bone before you put it in the oven. Why did you do that? I've never questioned it. I've just always done it. And her mother said, that's really funny. You should ask me that. I don't know. That's what my mother did. So they went back to Grandma. And they said, Grandma... Um, my daughter's asked me, my granddaughter's asked, what is it, why is it that every time you prepared the lamb, just before you put it in the oven, you would cut off the shank bone and then you would cook the lamb? Why did you do that? Because I've done it, my daughter's done it, and now our granddaughter's asking, why do we do it? And she said, well, I don't know why you do it, but I used to do it to fit the lamb in the oven. <laughs> There was a why behind the what. 
And it was a good reason. The problem is, so many times we, can do, we continue doing the what, not knowing the why. Do you get that? And so when it comes to God's purpose, you've got to understand the why behind the what. You, you, you've got to understand that God has a purpose for everything. And, and that's what Paul is saying in Romans 8, 28. All things are working together for good, even though the situation might look, look good right now. We're called according to his purpose, and God is going to engineer every circumstance and every situation as you cooperate with him to work it together for the good of his purpose. That was worth a clap. Thank you. <laughs> I, just, I, want to, I want you to be excited by truth, because truth sets us free. Okay, let's, let's move on now. I'm going to read to you from Ephesians chapter 1. Now, <clears throat> understanding Ephesians chapter 1 is really tricky. It's one of those chapters where Paul got so excited. I, I feel sorry for the guy who was writing this. Paul had what's called an amusis, somebody who would write for him while he was dictating. And uh, in this particular chapter, there are no full stops. In, in other words... <laughs> He's talking and it's like streaming. You know, it's just, it's just coming out and coming out and coming out. And I feel sorry for the guy who's writing this because he must have had to write fast. And there's this stream of revelation that comes out of the Apostle Paul. And so kind of understanding what he's trying to say is sometimes really tricky. And uh, Ephesians is one of those very deeply theological books. But I'm going to attempt to just break down three simple things for you tonight, okay? Just to help you understand God's purpose for you, God's purpose for the church. Okay, so let's take it from verse 4, Ephesians 1 verse 4. <clears throat> just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. <coughs> Deep breath. Okay, now, <coughs> here's the first thing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So in other words, before creation, God had to make a choice. Now in this passage of scripture down to verse 12, five times the phrase in him or in Christ is used. And Paul says here that we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Now, <clears throat> first point I want to make. God doesn't choose you to be put in him. It doesn't say that. If it said that, it would mean that before the foundation of the world, God looked down throughout history, looked into the future with his foreknowledge and chose different individuals and said, well, I want you to be holy and I want you to be holy and you to be holy and you to be holy and the rest of you, tough. You're out. You're going to the hot place over there somewhere. It doesn't say we were chosen to be put into Christ. It says we were chosen in him. And what was the choice that he made? 
Well, it says here, chosen that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, this is the language of marriage. Now, it's really hard for some people to comprehend where Paul is coming at here. But Ephesians chapter 1 culminates in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul says, I'm talking about a great mystery about Christ and his church, about marriage. And he introduces the concept of that here in Ephesians chapter 1, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, think about it like this. In the 1950s and in the 1960s, particularly amongst Pentecostal churches, we defined holiness in terms of what you can do and what you can't do. If you're a good Christian. So if you're a good Christian who wants to be holy and you're a woman, in the 1950s you don't wear makeup. Because it's a bit ungodly. It's not very holy wearing makeup. And uh, you don't go to the cinema. And uh, you don't drink alcohol. And uh, you don't wear short skirts. And all kinds of things. You certainly don't get tattoos. You know, we defined holiness in terms of a whole series of do's and don'ts. And the do's and the don'ts, if you conformed, then you were considered to be a good Christian, really holy person. The only problem with that is we've gone back to law. We've gone back to rules. And God doesn't want us to appear before him according to rules. He wants us to appear before him in love in love, that we will be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, here's the thing about the word holiness. It's, it's sometimes translated in the Bible, sanctify or sanctified or sanctification. So the words holy and holiness and sanctify are exactly the same word in the Greek. And the words sanctify and holy have one meaning. And here is the meaning. Set apart... For a special purpose. So think about it like this. God is saying that he chose us in him that we should be set apart for a special purpose without blame before him in love. Now here's something that's really important. When you, uh, if you ever fall in love or if you're here and you've been, you're married or you're engaged or you're dating your significant other or whatever particular relationship you're in. Here's something that happens or should happen in every healthy relationship. Suddenly, your affections become extremely exclusive. Have you noticed that? Have you, have you heard of the phrase where it's like, oh, she only has eyes for him. Or he only has eyes for her. What does that mean? It means that somehow the heart affection is so caught up with that other person that everything you do in life, you do to please them. And the whole notion here is that God wants us to be set apart for a special purpose because he's called us into a special relationship, a love relationship with himself, so that our holiness is not rooted in do's and don'ts, is rooted in a covenant relationship of love that is typified by marriage. Do you get that? In other words... I please God, not because I have to, not because there's a set of rules, but because I'm in love. Let me ask you this. 
If you could, some of you older folk, if you can remember this far back. When you were in love in the early days, it was never too much effort to go the extra mile. It was never too much effort. You know, I remember in those early days when my wife said to me, oh, could you do this? I'd say, sure. Sure. You have to wait for 20 years of marriage before you say, why? <laughs> but, but when you're in that stage where you're in love, in love, nothing is too much trouble. I remember in those early days, I would sometimes drive two and a half hours just to see my wife for an hour. Oh, that's so romantic, isn't it? You're going to meet her in January. You're going to see it was worth it. But the whole point is we're going to be holy and without blame. God's purpose for the church is that it would be a church that is so in love with him that we set ourselves apart. and We say, no, I'm not doing that because that's going to hurt the one I love and who loves me. I'm not going to do that. Doesn't that change things slightly? You see, we're chosen in him before the foundation of the world, that we should appear that way. Now, notice, not chosen to be put in him, but chosen in him. Now, I'm going to come back to that. Having predestined us to adoption. So, when something is predestined, it's decided beforehand. Now, here's what God didn't decide. He didn't decide who'd be saved and who'd be damned. That's not the decision he made. He decided what would he do with those who believed in Jesus. Now, he didn't have to call us into an equal relationship like a marriage. He didn't have to do that. He could have said, okay, all you people who said yes to Jesus, who are going to get saved, I'm going to make you like angels. You're going to be my servants. You're going to do my will, do my bidding. That would have been good. That would have been okay. In the kingdom, serving God, that would have been okay. But God said, no, 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 no. This group of people, I don't want them to be servants. I want them to be friends. I don't want them just to be like the angels. I want them to be like my son, Jesus. I want to take them in to myself so that we could be holy together and one together. You see, God is holy. He is set apart. And he wants you set apart for that exclusive relationship with him. So the predestination is not God deciding who will be saved, but God deciding what will he do with those who are saved. He decided beforehand you would enter into covenant relationship with him and you would be part of that inheritor with Christ. Romans chapter 8. So chosen in him. Let me put it like this. There's a flight that I had to book to come back to New Zealand. I looked at the flight and I saw it had been predestined. Somebody at Qantas Airlines had decided that the plane from Heathrow would go to Dubai and then from Dubai it would go to Melbourne and then from Melbourne it would go to Christchurch. It was even decided what time it would leave. The plane was predestined. I was not. I was not predestined, but the plane was. But as soon as I purchased a ticket and got on the plane, I became predestined because I shared in the destiny of the plane. 
by being in it. We are chosen in him. In him. Not chosen to be put in him, but by being in him, I become chosen because he is the chosen one. The gospel is all about how you can have a ticket to be in the plane. And you can't purchase it with money. It's already been purchased by the blood of Jesus. All you can do is purchase it through faith. That is exciting. That is good news. God so loved the world. Do you get it? (laughs) Chosen in him. My chosenness is in Christ. My blessing is in Christ. It's all in him. So the first purpose for the church is that we would be holy and without blame before him in love. That the church would be in love with Jesus just the way that Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. That it might be a spotless bride. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I love that. Not having spot or wrinkle. You know the only people who have spots? Teenagers. You know, the only people who have wrinkles, people my age. So God has destined a bride who's not an immature teenager and not an old hag. A gorgeous, beautiful woman. That's the picture. A beautiful bride reaching the full stature of the measure of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4. That's what he's destined, holy and without blame before him in love, that we're in love with Jesus, and he's in love with us. He loved the church and gave himself for it. You got this? (laughs) Here's the second point I want to make. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You know, I, I, I love this. In, in Roman times, when you were adopted, they had various words to describe your status within the family. And if you were a fully mature child within the family, the Greek word is huios. It literally means son placing. Placed as a son within the family And once you were placed as a son, once you were adopted under Roman law, you have the full rights as though you were born into the family. The full rights of inheritance, the full rights of name, the full rights of status, all of those things come to you when you're adopted. And so here, God says, I've adopted you into my family. You receive now, and look at what happens when you're adopted. It was the good pleasure of his will. I love the language Paul uses. God, nobody had to twist his arm. He delighted to do this. It was a pleasure for him to do it. By which he made us, now look at this, accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. In other words, there's no redemption outside of him. It's in him. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he had made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, 
that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, in other words, as everything unfolded, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So, let me try and summarize that, because that's packed with theology here. Here's the point number two. We're adopted as sons. Here's what it says. We've been accepted. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. Accepted, redeemed, forgiven. How do we experience that? Well, we trust in Christ, and the first thing we experience is forgiveness. Then we realize we're redeemed. Then we know we're accepted. And then we walk out our adoption. God's purpose for the church is that you would know you are a child of God with the full status and inheritance of Jesus. It's yours. Don't miss out. Don't sell out like Esau did. Don't sell out your inheritance for something less that won't satisfy. It'll satisfy for a moment, but it won't satisfy for the long term. And here's the final point I want to make, point number three. It says this. <clears throat> He's adopted us as sons by Jesus Christ himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. And it says it right at the end there in verse 12. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In other words... God wants to put the church on display. Just like a, a bride on her wedding day is put on display. How many of you have been to a wedding? You know, every wedding I do, and I've done hundreds of weddings now, every wedding I do, I'm always amazed at how stunning a bride will look. It's like, oh my goodness, how can this keep getting better? And it's like all the effort that's put into the makeup, the hair, the dress, you know, the losing 20 pounds. It'll be the only time in your life it ever happens, believe me. But, but the, the effort that you go to for that day, because you know that those pictures, your children and your grandchildren are going to see them. You know everyone's going to see them. You know they're going to go on Facebook if they're really good. And so every effort is made to put a display that is to the praise of that day, that event. God wants the church on display to the praise of his glory. In other words, God wants the church to come to a place where people look at the church. They look at the love that's in the church. They look at the power that's in the church. They look at the strength that's in the church. They look at the mercy that's in the church. They look at the healing that's in the church. And Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. You see, God wants us to be to the praise of his glory. You know, it says in 1 Peter chapter 4 that you're a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a, a, a special people called out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You're there to show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness. And every single one of us in this room, we're to be here to the praise of his glory. Your life is meant to show something of God's majesty and magnificence. 
the way he's healed you, the way he's changed you, the way he's transformed you. And I know we're in process. But one day, Jesus is coming back for a church. And it's going to be, in Ephesians 5, a glorious church. It's going to be a church that is obedient to Jesus, not because we have a strict set of rules of do's and don'ts, and this is what you can do as a Christian, and this is what you can't do as a Christian, but because we're in love with Jesus. We're so grateful for his forgiveness. We're so grateful that we're adopted into his family. We're so grateful that one day, (coughs) a simple decision of faith changed our destiny. We're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one's going to be boasting in heaven. We're all going to be singing his praise and his glory. We're going to be displaying his glory throughout the ages to come. And I just believe that the more we connect with our purpose, who God has made us to be, the more we can live out that purpose as the people of God, the more satisfaction is going to come into our hearts and into our lives. Because everything is designed for a purpose. You know, one day, my wife needed to do some work around the house and and she was looking for a bradle. Do you know what a bradle is? A bradle is what you make a hole with before you put a screw in or something like this. It's a tool. She couldn't find a bradle, so she used one of my small screwdrivers. And it wouldn't go in, so she got a hammer, and she was hitting the screwdriver with the hammer to kind of make the... And I looked at it, I was horrified. You know, if, if you're a guy who understands tools, that, that's just, it's, that's like anathema. I said, what are you doing? Said, I'm getting, making a hole. And I said, but it's not made for that purpose. She said, yeah, but if I hit it hard enough, it's working. And I think sometimes as Christians, what we do is we, we take a truth and, and it's not an appropriate truth for the situation we're in where we're trying to hit it hard enough to make it work. But God has made specific truths for specific purposes. He's made you for a purpose. And maybe you're a bit like Forrest Gump right now. Mama, what's my destiny? What am I here for? (laughs) And sometimes you just have to take a step of faith to walk into your destiny. Sometimes you don't know your purpose until you connect with people of purpose. Have you noticed in Ephesians chapter 4, in this very book, Paul goes on to say that it says we are connected through joints and ligaments, that which every part supplies, that we grow up into the fullness of the body of Christ, that we grow up into Him. And it says, in love. And you know what? Joints and ligaments are where two members interact. That's what a joint does. A joint allows two members to connect and work together. That's the body of Christ. That's you and I. And sometimes the only way you can know who you really are and what your purpose is, is by connecting with other people. You see, my hand knows it's a hand because it's not on the end of my ankle. It's connected here to a wrist that's connected to a forearm that's connected here, that's connected here. And all those joints allow me to know this is where it fits. 
It comes out of relationship. You will never discover your purpose on your own. You'll never discover your purpose as a hermit in a cave. You'll only discover your purpose in relationship, in community, in the church. And that's why coming together is so important. That's why being together is so important. That's why God didn't save you to be alone. That's why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And it's in that place that we realize the purpose of God for our lives. I want to say to you, friends, come on. We're called according to His purpose. Don't sell out. Don't cheapen what Jesus has done for you. But bring your life into alignment by coming back to your first love. You know, Jesus, one criticism of the church in Ephesus later on in the book of Revelation, His one criticism was this. You do all these things You test those who say they are apostles and are not. You expose them. You're zealous for this. But I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. Because Ephesians chapter 1, it was all about being holy without blame before Him in love. In Ephesians 5, it was about loving Jesus the way He loved the church. Jesus said, come on, come back to your first love. I want to say to you, maybe you're somebody who's lived under rules. Maybe you're somebody who's lived under legalism. Maybe you're somebody who's lived under religious demands for a long time. I want to tell you, Jesus is not like that. He's come to touch your heart. He's come to touch your inner world. He wants you to know His love for you so that you can return that love to Him. John puts it like this in his letter. We love Him because He first loved us. Your capacity to love is proportional to your capacity to receive love from Him. And I want to lift every burden off you tonight. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to lift the burden of trying to be something when you're already designed with a purpose in mind. And that purpose for you fits. It's a good fit. It's not like Saul's armor, heavy, made for the wrong person. It's a perfect fit. There's nothing better than trying on clothes that fit perfectly, is there? Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.